Are we, are we live now? I'm recording. You're listening to Mumbrella Cast. Mumbrella, Mumbrella, Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Tim Burrows. Joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is our senior media reporter, Hannah Blackiston. Hello. And our reporter, Brittany Rigby. Hello. And please do, as seems to become a habit on these podcasts, forgive that background noise as once again we're recording live from a Mumbrella Marketing Summit. This time it's the Automotive Summit and we're back at the Four Seasons in Sydney. A little bit later, we chat with IAG's Chief Marketing Officer, Brent Smart, about the trend towards in-house creative. There's no way I could attract the kind of creative talent to an insurance company than that that Chep or the monkeys can attract. How the Australian advertising market is stacking up. I think the best stuff that comes out of Australia is really, really good. I think if you look at the average, though, in Australia, it's not that good. And the changing nature of creativity. Creative is definitely more than a film, right? It's more than an ad. But first... The week's topics. Nick Garrett is out at Clemenger BBBR. Nine continues riding high on sea change in the block. And revenues fall across TV and radio. First up, CEO of Clemenger BBDO Sydney and Melbourne, Nick Garrett, is leaving the agency with Deputy CEO of Clemenger Melbourne, Gail Weil, to become CEO of Clemenger Melbourne, while former VMLYNR co-CEO Pete Bozolkowski will join Clemenger Sydney as CEO. Nick has been with Clemenger in Melbourne since 2015, adding the Sydney arm of the business to his remit in 2017. But in April this year, Chris Howitson, CEO of sister agency CHE Proximity, was promoted to oversee all Clemenger agencies, including Clemenger BBDO, CHE Proximity and Market Force. At the time, Clemenger made it very clear that both Garrett and all other agency bosses would keep their roles. But what was the sentiment like at the time, Tim? Did anyone actually believe that line? Look, I did, and I do. And 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 welcome back from your sick bed, by the way, Hannah. I know you're <laughs> Thank you're you. still sending ever so slightly croaky, <laughs> and and I guess Mumbrella has to send its best wishes to our editor Vivian, who yes. who is is still in bed with slightly the flu. more dead. So um so thank you for uh, thank you for, for for surviving enough to do the podcast. <laughs> um yeah, look, I. It was a really interesting situation at the time, and I think we talked about it on the Mumbrella cast, um, when there was the promotion for Chris Howitson, um, because there was just a real dilemma for the Clemenger Group and boss Robert Morgan with two very talented executives who bring very, very different skills to the party. So, you know, what sort of Chris Howitson brings is a really new way of thinking about agency structures and you know design thinking I suppose you could talk about it that sort of consultancy style tapping into technology being more than just a traditional agency versus Nick Garrett who over the years has demonstrated himself as one of the kind of best executives in the world at working alongside and genuinely collaborating with creatives you know and sort of giving them an environment to do their best work so i think there were a few sort of raised eyebrows when 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 chris harrison was given that um that widened remit to bring that sort of design thinking across the wider clems group as well as um chep che proximity and, and you know what that meant for nick garrett um so i think a lot of people are adding two and two and assuming that well Perhaps Nick in some way saw his route blocked mm. and maybe that was it. Um, I'm not so sure it was com- completely that or, or possibly even at all that. You know, my, I mean, my sense firstly was if I'd expected his next career step, it wouldn't have been into the, you know, the, the seat or the direction that Chris Harrison was taking. It would have been to a bigger role within the BBDO global network, mm. you know, so that 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 was one thought i think the fact that um that he's announced he's leaving i don't think we can sort of now conclude okay you know that's maybe next because that would have been you know within the family would have been a lot smoother um i wonder maybe whether it's just time you know he's done this for a long time within that company you know he 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 did it over at colenso auckland where um, you know, this sort of amazing partnership with Nick Worthington, the, um, on the creative side, who, um, they became one of the world's most awarded agencies. He then came over to Clems Melbourne, where 
it was tougher because it was already a really successful agency, but arguably had quite an old-fashioned structure. You know, the the answer was perhaps too often a 30-second TVC commercial, and now let's work out what the question is. Mm. Um, so they, 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 there was a restructuring, and, you know, it's that old cliche of rebuilding a plane while it's in the air is actually quite hard, and that's effectively what they, 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 they did because, you know, Clem's carried on being, you know, a successful well-awarded agency um but then the really tough bit was to add clem sydney as well mm. which has never flown certainly not for many many years in the way that clem's melbourne has um and i just wonder you know i i, I wonder whether maybe you didn't get the full freedom to do what you wanted you know maybe it always felt to me like could there be a bit of a national story emerging in clem's melbourne and clem's sydney not necessarily sure that that's what robert morgan has boss of the Clemenger group would have wanted don't know um so i i suspect in the end you, you just get to a point where it's well what 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 can i do next so i suspect that might it may have just been time to call it it's interesting timing as well because if he had gone when chris howitson had come into the new role that would have been a big story it hasn't actually been that long since April, but it's kind of been long enough for it to not be a shocking exit. It's been long enough that the scandal isn't really there. And you do kind of wonder whether that was more on him or more on Clems that kind of, you know, tried to organise it to work that way. Um, what kind of strikes me about this is it's Pete coming across as the new CEO has been completely slammed to the side in all the conversation. Um which, you know, judging from the comment thread on the story, people seem to think it's a great move for him. So, yeah, it's interesting that's kind of been overshadowed a little bit. Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it, when you announce that sort of thing? Because on the one hand, you want to you give, potentially give the new person some clear air when you announce them. But on the other hand, when someone's going, you don't want there to be this vacuum. Mm. Um, you know, the, and, and actually I hadn't really thought about it this way, but as you make the point, the fact that they had both people in place to announce sort of suggests there was probably a bit of a plan that everybody had agreed on. Because, you know, one of those signs when someone, you know, A, in quote marks, leaves without a job to go to, and B, leaves on the day and there's no... Uh, successor announced usually means that the person who's leaving didn't know they were leaving until <laughs> till the announcement dropped or shortly before. So the the fact that all of those pieces were in place suggests that you know there there were more conversations behind it. But yeah, absolutely, it's it, it's been more about sort of you know Nick Garrett's departure and you know what a big pair of shoes that is to fa- fill, um, rather than you know sort of uh, Pete and you know and 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 the, and the similar sort of challenge over in Melbourne as well um, mm. for, uh, for 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 Gail Weil. Um, two very different challenges, you know, because Clem's Sydney, I don't think is, is fixed. Um, you know, I, I, I can't, this isn't to say they haven't done any great work, but I can't, I can't think of the last piece of great work I saw come out of Clem's Sydney, for instance. So, you know, there are, there are, you know, there, there are definitely some challenges there. Yeah. And it is worth noting as well that um, Nick hasn't said where he's going. Um, in the announcement, it said that he would reveal his next move shortly. And his quote said, um, I have been sprinting for 22 years and it's a moment for rest and recharge. So we don't know where he'll land. Those two feel a bit contradictory as they well. Do. <laughs> I, I'm not that certain that he has a plan for what comes next. Um Certainly, I don't think that there's a you know a contract that's been signed and on the dotted line, and as soon as he's out of the non-compete, that's the plan. Um, that's my guess. That's not the case. So I, I wonder whether that statement perhaps went a bit further than the truth in terms of he will soon announce what he's doing. Um, we'll see. But but you know, you would think if someone's been around for that long, they would actually be crazy to leave with another job already lined up mm. just because I'm sure his phone rang a lot the moment that, that, that move was announced. And sometimes, you know, that's just the thing, you know, is you get all these opportunities you could never possibly think of. I was, I was listening to a podcast this week between um, Cindy Gallup and Gary V of all people. And she was, um, she was talking about how, when she left BBH um, sort of after oh, like more than a decade, possibly getting on for two decades, she didn't have anything to go to, but she learned so much about 
what her next potential career moves were um, from the number of interviews that um, she was offered, the number of conversations about jobs. Also helped, you know, as she thought about things she was offered, thought about what she didn't want to do mm. as well. So I I suspect he hasn't got anything lined up yet. I just think he'd be, he, he, he'd be silly to have locked himself into anything. Do you think, Tim, as well, that it's interesting that rather than appoint just Pete or just Gail to take over Nick's remit for both Sydney and Melbourne and splitting those up again is maybe an acknowledgement that those two markets do require quite different things. Obviously quite big for Gail as, you know, a female CEO to be stepping into the role and then Pete has his work cut out for him too. I mean, as Hannah said, all the comments on that piece are about how great Nick is. Do you think Clems were like, yeah, we've, we've got to sort of take it back to square one and refocus individually on Sydney and Melbourne? Do you know what? I suppose, short answer is don't know. Longer answer is either agency in their own right is big enough to be a standalone agency. Mm, you mm. know, you, you know, any, any organisation would love to own certainly Clems Melbourne and probably Clems Sydney as well. So absolutely you could make the case for them as standalones. I wonder slightly though about the direction of travel in terms of best number of brands in a country um, for creative agencies. So, it, you know, it's always felt, for instance, as if the dynamic in Australia is, yes, you will have city-based creative agencies and then nationally aligned media agencies mm. for whatever reason. You know, we the way we judge the Umbrella Awards is we'll, 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 we'll judge the creative agencies as a city mm. and the, uh, the media agencies as a national operation. Um, and funnily enough, you know, one of the conversations we've been talking to jurors about is actually whether that is still the appropriate structure or whether that's a structure from, you know, when we first created the awards a few years ago. And the direction of, of travel I think we're going is to recognise the national output of an agency. You know, mm. so I... I we, we haven't made the decision and we'll ask some more questions, but it wouldn't surprise me if we begin to move in the direction of recognising the national output as it becomes a more common thing. You know, we, we've seen it with, um, with Leo's, for instance, of, you know, um, uh, Melinda Gertz, who, who, who's Melbourne-based but does a day or two in Sydney each, each week, runs the Sydney operation as well. Um, <laughs> Although weirdly enough, Mumbrella is looking for new office space at the moment, and our real estate guy took us around various offices the other day, including I got to walk in unannounced on Leo's Sydney, who are <laughs> moving in with the publicist family. Um, and it it wasn't actually quite as bustling as I expected it to be, quite honest. Now, not saying that's because it was you know Melinda's day in Melbourne or whatever, but um, but certainly you know there, there there has been some sort of comment in the market on. You, you need an individual leader in each market. You know, you've got teams to lead, you've got culture to think about. So I suppose if if you do have one national CEO, you will have a de facto leader in each office anyway. And that's maybe where we've, you know, where we've gone with Gail in Melbourne, for instance. Mm. You know, so I, but I do wonder whether behind the scenes there was a bit of stress testing of the idea of one national agency mm. and actually the fact that they've, you know as you, you you rightly point out the fact that they've now gone to two separate leaders may mean that they've they've actually stress tested that idea and decided that um that it's not for them mm. next up bad news and tv and radio revenues the last few days have seen both the radio and the television industry report declining ad spend figures. The figures released from Think TV uh, showcased the industry spend over the last financial year, basically in recession for the first time since the global financial crisis. Uh, and those numbers came a few days after Commercial Radio Australia reported a 1.7% decline in ad revenue for the most recent quarter. Um, Hannah, let's start with radio, radio revenue. Um, and I, this week we also saw Macquarie Media um, numbers come out, which I wrote about as well. But what did you see as the main sort of factors behind radio? Yeah, it's interesting. So um, Commercial Radio Australia released those figures citing tough market conditions. Um, they kind of quite often lean on the fact that radio is quite resilient. Um, it's not saying, obviously, 1.7% isn't a massive drop. Um, but it is worth noting it also dropped in the March quarter. In the March quarter, it declined by 2.6%. Um, and that was the same thing. They 
said, you know, the market's tough, softening economic conditions, people aren't spending any money, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the question I think there has to be, how long are you allowed to say market conditions are tough before it just becomes the market? How many quarters do you get away with saying, oh, you know, it's been a tough quarter before it's mm. like every quarter is a tough quarter? Yeah, that's a good question because we, I, I can remember post-GFC, everyone kept talking about, you know, next quarter, next half, next year. And it was always, we're flat at the moment. And then, you know, people started using phrases like flat is the new normal, flat is the new growth. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, please, let, let's hope that for media that isn't Google and Facebook, that 4%, 5% decline each year doesn't become the new normal. Um and the other thing, of course, is this always lags. So, you know, the, the, as I say, the SMI numbers came, which came out, which, um, and I might go into this in a bit more in a minute, but, um, went below 4 billion for the TV industry, um, for the first time in many, many years. Um, that, in a way, it wasn't a surprise because, of course, SMI put their numbers out, um, every month. Um, this time around, it wasn't the SMI numbers. It was the sort of numbers gathered by, I think it's KPMG who do it for the, for, for, for Think TV. Um, although I noticed it didn't actually say in the press release who it was, but, um, I, it, so it feels like there's no actual surprise. And that is the thing with a lot of these figures is it's a rear view mirror, you know, so who knows? We could be back in Boomtown by now. I, I don't think we are. Um, as I say, we were recording this at the, um, the Mumbrella um, Automotive Marketing Summit and uh, Jaina Ratcliffe from uh, from SMI was sharing some numbers around how things are going in the automotive sector. And that was super tough. It was mm. like, you know, one of the numbers was for for outdoor, which is down something like 50% out of the automotive sector. Um, Brittany, you mentioned there was another number as, as I well. I think it was 10% overall and 50% in outdoor from what I heard. Yeah, which is, which, which is tough. You know, automotive is, 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 I suppose there's a few things there. One of which is, it seems to be one of the first things people stop buying is new cars when, mm. when there is some sort of downturn. So there's, there's, there, there, there's that sort of cyclical, cyclical thing. And then of course, we've also got a lot less, um, manufacturing happening in Australia mm. now with the automotive as well. But, but yeah, it certainly feels like some of that pain is particularly being held with automotive at the moment. Yeah. The int- one of the interesting things, uh, to bring up in the June quarter reports from, for radio is it wasn't down in all markets, which I always think is interesting. I find it's a bit like, um, the property industry is really bad at doing this. I obviously come from a finance and property background and, um, Quite often, you know, the doom and gloom headline will be Australia's property market is crashing. It's quite often not accurate. Sydney and Melbourne is crashing. So in the actual breakdown, Melbourne, Adelaide and Brisbane all rose. It was Sydney and Perth. So Sydney dropped 5.6% and Perth fell almost 6%. So they had some pretty hefty falls, which I think is kind of interesting. It does show, to me, that shows that maybe things aren't dire across the board, which I guess is a good thing and the other thing which i always find fascinating about radio is just how close sydney and melbourne are in Mm. actual sizes of markets now um i'm not quite sure where we are at the moment but i know a couple of times in the past we've even seen months where melbourne has been a slightly bigger radio market than sydney but they're you know the, the 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 two are very close so you could see if um if melbourne gets a bit of growth and sydney gets a bit of shrinkage that we could go back in that direction again mm, well in that quarter yeah melbourne has overtaken sydney so melbourne was at 68 million whereas sydney was at 63 million i, see, I didn't want to ask actually ask in case you didn't have the number <laughs> in front, front of, of me. you i didn't want to make you look bad but of course i should have shown faith and asked <laughs> no i appreciate it <laughs> <laughs> and um and yeah and just to close the loop on radio you know as i say um of the big kind of sort of radio groups um for the current round of asx reporting macquarie media are the only ones to have gone so far which is uh 2gb in sydney 3aw in melbourne um and that was not great again not many surprises but revenue down slightly and then of course an awful lot of that sort of hit the bottom line so um it all feels like a bit of a sort of weird doesn't matter too much because nine will probably buy the rest of them anyway at some point so no one no one exercise you know no one gets too excited about it but but yeah certainly um you know it felt like there's a gap between their audience dominance in sydney and melbourne and their commercial performance 
Yeah, definitely. And as you touched on there, we are already in reporting season. We've got, um, you know, things are coming out. SCA's releasing theirs in a couple of weeks. Seven West Media we releasing theirs in a couple of weeks. So do you think we're going to continue seeing kind of, I think, I mean, I think it's probably guaranteed we're going to keep seeing, seeing some pretty sad results across the board. Look, it's been really interesting. I think Outdoor is going to be one to watch closely. I'm not sure exactly when O-Media's come out um, and when QMS come out, for instance. We, we won't get to see JC Decoe because they're privately owned um, because it does feel like maybe Outdoor, after having, having so many years of thanks to digitization as much as anything sort of you know growth outstripping the market this could be one where it falls back even more so for outdoor um we'll obviously get a really good snapshot of the media as a whole from nine because of course they've got exposure to you know print as well with the newspapers Mm. and digital publishing um seven hey look you know we, we effectively know what their numbers are because of you know smi data this data um they've still got a fairly big chunk of debt as well. So, yeah, it was interesting. So certainly on Wednesday more Wednesday, they, um, their share price fell to the bigger, to the lowest price, basically in the company's history, mm-hmm. seven West media. So uh, certainly the market is not showing an awful lot of optimism about the major players at the moment. Um, uh, Southern cross Australia going a bit better at the moment in terms of share price. Um, Nine somewhere in for the last year, somewhere in the middle between the high point and their their low point. So they're still sort of you know broadly going okay, um, as far as the market is concerned. An awful lot, of course, is just managing expectations. It's it's them you know making sure there are no unpleasant surprises for investors. Yeah, and I think going back on to TV and the Think TV figures. Um, yes. Yes, I have some stuff to get off my chest. <laughs> you <there>. do. <laughs> well, I just, I just wanted to say, um, Kim Portrait, Think TV CEO, said in the press release with that, she kind of highlighted digital viewing as being a growth area. And I suspect if the decline continues, we'll see a lot more of that where it's shifting that focus and moving away from areas that are maybe struggling to other areas. But please share with us your, <laughs> your there concerns. Was, and it, it, I totally accept it was, it was a genuine unfortunate mistake. There was one number wrong in the think tv figures so when they initially put the number out you know they were they were they're completely transparent they talked about the sort of the fall which was about you know five percent down for the first six months of the financial year easing off a tiny bit to four percent down for the second time um, uh, but somewhere there was an adding up number uh, problem so that the the overall tv revenue number still showed us uh, holding up just above the, I would argue, psychologically important $4 billion mark. And then, in fact, they did have to issue an, an update on Thursday morning saying um, there had been an error on that number and it was actually below, um, which is one of those things. But equally, I'd have written the story in a very different way <laughs> if I'd known at the time I wrote the story it was below the $4 billion. And it does come after a lot of schadenfreude from all of the TV networks. Schadenfreude, schadenfreude, what are we going with? I like Freud. But... Freud, so do I. Yes, <laughs> let's go for schadenfreude. Um, over the need for the Facebook-commissioned PwC report to be reissued earlier this week because Nielsen hadn't given permission to use some of those numbers. So it's not a great look for TV having been quite gleeful about that, to now have to re-release its own number. And it was quite a big difference between the first number and the second. The first, and I'll probably mess this up speaking about numbers so big, was 4055682222 dollars And then the updated figure, 3985637736 dollars so, a difference of... Oh I make it God. 70 million? Have I got my maths right? I Something don't know. like that? Yeah, yeah but it, it, it wasn't a digit, yes. digit um, switcheroo. Look, in the scheme of things, I guess, compared to 4 billion, it's not very much. But um, as I say, that $4 billion mark, that, that, you know, that feels significant. Mm. Next up, Nine kicks off the second half of the year with a bang with the block and sea change.
So Nine's audience dominance isn't showing any signs of stopping in the television market, with the block returning uh, quite strongly off the back of Australian Ninja Warrior, although maybe not doing quite as well in two, as it did in 2018, Hannah? No, not quite as well. So um, it has come back strong. Um, it's It pulled 991,000 viewers. Uh, for the first episode, but that's that, Metro viewers. That's Metro viewers. Sorry, yeah, but that it does mean it hasn't failed to crack a million. Which, if we're talking about psychological figures, I would say is a pretty big one for what's been an incredibly successful franchise. It's back for its fifteenth season. Um, so twenty eighteen saw it come in with one point one six three million Metro viewers. Twenty seventeen one point one seven five. Um, so it is interesting. It didn't manage to crack the one mil. It's kind of been down across the board since then so it's kind of at the minute sitting around 850,000 but am I right in thinking it's still set in Melbourne this year it's again? back in Melbourne this year yeah but I mean it's still for 15 seasons of a show it's doing incredibly well and I think especially off the back of Ninja Warrior which did well obviously Voice did well Lego Masters and the beginning of the year maths it's just painting a really nice picture for Nine. They must be very gleeful over there at the moment. Well, they must also be very pleased with the ratings for that first, um, the first match of the Ashes series oh, this course, week as yeah. well, because because it was very competitive. So it went for the full five days. Those late night numbers were very impressive, weren't they? Yeah, driving on the so the day that the block premiered um, was that drove Nine Gem to a twelve percent share, which. It beat 10, it beat ABC, it was doing spectacularly well. So, yeah, between the two of them, the figures Nine's getting this week have been astronomical. Kind of ironic as well that they obviously they've sort of had to say goodbye to most of the cricket rights now. Mm. So that's a sort of last hurrah. Um, although, uh, I was chatting to Kurt Burnett, our Chief Commercial Officer for Seven this week. I did, didn't quote him on this, but he was on the record, so I can say it. I was asking him how he felt about those ratings, and his argument was it's a really great advertisement for cricket on Seven in the future as well. So he was he was making the case that he was very glad for Nine for their good numbers for cricket, which was... Silver uh, linings. Yes, it was, <laughs> it was very generous of him, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it is interesting, and it's also kind of interesting timing for it, really, for those figures coming as Nine have just launched their Australian Open coverage for next year, end of this year. Um, so I guess being able to prove that they can do so well with sport, especially when it's sitting on a secondary or on a multi-channel, is pretty impressive. Now, can we decide, are we going to call them multi-channels or secondary channels? Because I, I, I confuse myself what I, I want to call them. So I got called out on this earlier in the week by our editor, Vivian Kelly, which who isn't ha- here to defend herself. Which Hannah Good. has chatted to me about. <laughs> and I was told to call them multi-channels by Viv, but I have previously been told by you to call them secondary channels. So I'm just sitting here waiting for somebody to decide. Oh, <laughs> you're, like, you're, you're, you're like the child torn between mum and dad. I am, you? yeah. Mum and dad, you figure it out and... And then tell us and what to tell do. Me. Yeah, <laughs> may, maybe both are right. Maybe I'll just I'll switch between the two. That'll be really fun for editing. <laughs> and uh, let's talk about sea change a little bit. So, on the one hand, you know, drama's expensive, and it wasn't a huge number. I think it was a bit over a million once you added in sort of regional viewing as well. On the other hand, I think a record breaking for drama for this year. Yeah, so it had 787,000 Metro viewers. And then as you said, Tim, once you factored in regional viewers, that number jumped to 1.105 million. But uh, it's the highest rating drama of the year so far. And the weird thing is it used to be a time when when Australian drama rated really, really well. Mm. And that's not been quite such the case recently. Um, whether this seems a bit of a bit of a well, I guess, I, I guess whether it signals a bit of a, a, a return to commissioning some drama, but also whether everything old is new again and they start mm. looking for what else they can reboot. You know, I think nostalgia is yeah. kind of powerful. I was too young to sort of be on the sea change bandwagon the first time around, but I think Sigrid Thornton is a huge pull, and it's also a nice change among a sea of reality stuff. Um, the Block, The Voice, Ninja Warrior, Lego Masters, Maths. It, it goes on and on and on in terms of, you know, reality stuff. It's nice to have a drama that has those characters that you know and love. 
I guess we probably won't get to see uh, Pack to the Rafters because all the, the stars <laughs> are too expensive these days. Yeah, it's interesting though, like, Sea Change did so well when it first aired. So it wrapped up in 2000 on ABC and during, it only ran for 39 episodes, which feels like a really short amount of time. But I can remember during that time when your Sunday nights were defined by a sea change and it was, you know, the biggest conversation happening among the mums at school the next day. And so... Were you I, a mum at school I was a mum at school during that time, yeah. yeah. Um, and so I really pretty think... pretty rough estate. <laughs> <laughs> and so I really think... I don't reckon Nine had to advertise this one too hard they didn't have Mm. to push too hard they already had all the viewers tuning in because of the reality stuff then you just have to say sea change we've got Sigrid back and that's it people are going to tune in and I I mean I would have been deeply surprised if it had not done this well Um, I think if 10 can find it in their hearts to bring Offspring back somehow, they'll also get some good numbers. But the problem is, as you said, with a lot of these kind of shows, people have gone on to bigger and better things. It's quite hard to go back to where you once were and you definitely need some of those people to come back. Yeah. Next, our sick editor Vivian (laughs) Kelly has one last finals gesture before she collapsed onto her (laughs) sickbed, chatted to IAG's Chief Marketing Officer, Brent Smart. I'm now joined by IAG's Chief Marketing Officer, Brent Smart. Brent, welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. Thanks for having me. So, look, you've been in that role at IAG, which covers brands including NRMA and CGU, since 2017. But prior to that, you were very much an agency guy, 20-year career spanning Saatchi's and Saatchi's in New York. What made you, one, want to come back to Australia and, two, go client-side? Well, the Australian thing was pretty simple. I've got three young boys uh, who were becoming very American. Uh, <laughs> so it was time to bring the boys home. Um, and, you know, we, we were living in, a, in an awesome apartment in, in downtown Manhattan, but there wasn't a lot of space for boys to be boys. And I just felt that um, I think Australia is still the best place to raise kids. Uh, so so that, was, that was the Australian thing more than anything. Um, you know, the client thing... Uh, I, 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 if you had have asked me 10 years ago uh, if I was going to end up uh, client side and, and, and being a CMO, I would have said no. But I think 20 years in the business of trying to convince clients to buy creative work, um, I got to the point where, where I thought, well, what, what if I could say yes? Maybe I could actually make great creative work happen, which which has been the sort of the, the drive um my whole career is to make great work. It's what it's what you know. It's why I get out of bed, and it's why I'm in the business. So, so for me, that was the driver. I thought, well, what if I could actually approve stuff and make stuff happen? And and that's really played out. Like, uh, it's 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 incredibly liberating to be sitting on the other side of 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 ideas and to be able to actually make them happen and to create the conditions for them to survive and thrive. So, um, yeah, that that's the motivator. Because I guess one of the biggest struggles that creative agencies face beyond shrinking budgets is their ideas getting watered down along the way or the client saying no or tweaking, 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 tweaking to the point where what you end up with isn't at all what they started with and and they don't end up necessarily proud of the work that they're producing for clients. So is that part of what you're doing at IAG as well, trying to be a bit braver and, and say yes to your creative agency CHE Proximity? And the monkeys as well. I've got you know, I've got Chep and the monkeys. So I've got two great creative agencies. Um, yeah, I think I think the most powerful thing you can do um, as a client is to buy completely, not not chip away at ideas, not not Frankenstein ideas. Like buy completely, like really believe in the idea, and 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 then I think your job is to protect that idea because corporations are fantastic at killing ideas. You know, they're not built to build on ideas. They're, they're built to sort of kill them. Um, so I think you got to really um, protect them and shepherd them. You know, ideas are really fragile things. Um, so I think once, you know, get to an idea that you, you love and that you're passionate about, you believe in, buy it completely and then protect it. Um, and, and I certainly um, try to get out of the way and, and, and try to let agencies do what they're really, really good at, which is craft and execution. Um and and uh, I think I think it's it's really motivating for agencies to be able to make the work they 
they want to make and to, to make work they're proud of. And I think um, I had a client say to me once when I was running agencies, um, you know, I, I can buy head hours from you. I can give you a fee to buy head hours. Um, but if, if, if your creatives love my brand and love the, love the, the briefs I give them, then I get all this discretionary effort where they think about my brand and my brief you know, on the weekends and when they're walking the dog and when they're in the shower and when they're on the subway and, and I don't have to pay for that. That doesn't cost me anything. I thought that's so smart and that's so right. So I, I, that's what I try and do. And especially I think when you work in insurance, which is not the sexiest category, like we're not selling sneakers uh, or, or iPhones. I, I think that, um, you know, you, you got to motivate the agency and they got to, they got to believe that they can do great work. And, and, and by the way, that that's not vanity, that is actually a good commercial decision because if I, you know, great creativity can make an enormous difference in my category. It's a low involvement category. People don't care about insurance, but if we can do something creative and interesting, get people to talk about it, I think that's, that's huge competitive advantage for us at IG. Yeah, I do some of my best thinking in the shower. So it would be yeah, good right? if you could give <laughs> so many discussions that I should have had or things I should have said come to me in the shower, but perhaps I should be thinking about NRMA in there. But instead. that's true. It's true for creative people, right? Like, and, you know, I, I think anyone um, who's creative says the same thing that you, you don't, ideas don't sort of hit you when you're sitting at your desk nine to five. They come at you, you know, when, when the mind is open. Uh, for ideas. So I think that's true of, of all. I, I'm married to a creative, so my wife's an art director. And I think, um, I think that's really true for creative people. I think, I think ideas c- can come at you at any time. Um, and, and I think, you know, you just, you just want to really give creative people, um, uh, the feeling that, that if I come up with something good, it's going to get made. That's so motivating for creative people. And you touched on it there that insurance isn't the sexiest yeah. category. So, it can be hard, I guess, to think of big, bold, creative ideas for a category that's quite conservative and and whatnot. So how do you attract great creative talent when there would be push and pull factors out there for sexier brands? Yeah, I mean, I, again, I think I think people, uh, creative people, want to make stuff. They want to make great stuff. So I think if they see that opportunity then they will come and work on our business at an agency or even come inside to IG. So that's the other thing we've done is is really built out our internal content capability and we've got some really, really creative people. Um, but they don't come from the, – the other important thing is they're not marketers. I, I think what's interesting about the world of content is you've got to think like a publisher, like you guys do, not like a marketer. It's a different mindset. It's a different skill set. And so, um, you know, we've got people from the worlds of television um, and from media owners and from from, from places where – um, it's a different mindset. It's a different mentality, and and uh, you know they're storytellers, and and that's what we need. And and again, they've come because um, you know there's a vision that we want to do good work, and there's a vision that um, you know we believe in the power of creativity to differentiate our brands, uh, and so they're attracted to that. And then and then you know and then we're letting them make stuff. You know, we're actually creating an environment. And we a big thing that I, I talk about is um, we need to move from a meeting culture to a making culture. So so. Big corporates love a meeting. Like, it's unbelievable. It's probably the biggest thing I've had to get used to going client side. They love a meeting. So, I talk a lot about we move from a meeting culture where we have lots of meetings to talk about what we're going to do to a making culture where we actually, you know, let people get on with creating stuff um, and create an environment where they can do that. So, ultimately, I think the category doesn't matter. I, th- I, I think, and, and the brand doesn't matter either, really, if you can offer a true creative opportunity to people. And you work with two of the country's most celebrated creative agencies, uh, CHE Proximity, which is Mumbrella's Creative Agency of the Year and, and the Monkeys as well. So what challenges do you think agencies are facing? Because I know that you've said previously that average agencies deserve to die. Now, obviously, <laughs> you're not. I, I was reading that in it's my Uber on the way here. <laughs> Some comments you made a little while back. Now, obviously, you're not referring to the likes of Chep and the monkeys in that statement, but what is making agencies average and what challenges are they facing? I, could, I think the biggest challenge for agencies, and again, I, I spent plenty of time you know, running them, um, I think the biggest challenge for agencies is, is the margin pressure, the constant margin pressure. Um, I think it's made it really, really hard for agencies to uh, attract and keep talent um, and I think it's made it, I think it's also made it harder for agencies to, um, you know, I think they're quite beholden to a lot of clients. 
because of the commercial nature of the relationship they have with those clients. In other words, it becomes a bit of a master-servant type relationship, and that's not healthy. I think it's really important to pay agencies well. I think it's really important to um, treat them as partners, not as suppliers. Um, and, and I think when that happens, then then you can do great things together because you can't do it by yourself. I mean, I'm a... I'm a I'm a huge believer in the power of agencies. I think I, you know, I have built some internal capability. There's so much talk about in housing as one of the big trends in marketing. There's no way I could attract the kind of creative talent to an insurance company than that that Chep or the monkeys can attract. Um, and so, and, and and so that's one thing. The other thing too is I think the the, the external perspective is really important to me. It's really easy, I think, to get caught up in the internal. Um, machinations of of your organization and 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 agencies still bring this beautiful outside perspective they're much more tapped into what's going on in culture they see across categories which i think is really important so for me i value that and i think it's really important that if you value it then pay properly for it um and that enables agencies to to you know, be be sustainable, strong businesses, and that's really critical. So, I think my comments around average agencies are, you know, I, I question um, the value that some agencies provide. I, you know, if the work isn't any good and isn't building brands, then then what are they doing? They're just sort of shipping out commodity stuff, you know. And I think that's that's a dangerous place to be as an agency. But I think any agency that is about the work is producing great work that's building brands and delivering commercial results has a long and prosperous future ahead of them. And what about switching sides? What surprised you most about being a marketer? Um, I think I think the biggest surprise for me has has been um, the way that once you're inside, everyone I think in the organization knows that that the brand's interests um, are, are your interests. And I think when you're outside, even though that's true for most of our partners, it's not the same. I think there's just a um, a natural sort of um, feeling that you're trying to sell me something, or or you know, um, your best, your you know, my best interests aren't your aren't your best interests necessarily when you when you're outside, you're in an agency. So I think I think what's what's surprised me is is just the 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 the, the credibility, I guess, or or the sort of um, the way that when I mean I say pretty much all the same things I used to say inside an agency, but now I say them. Um, as someone who who you know is is in charge of these brands and and has to care for these brands, and I think that carries much more weight than when I used to say it as a as an agency CEO. Um, even though there was the same level of passion and the same level of um, you know thought, it just it just it just carries so much more weight when you're inside and you understand intimately what the organization is grappling with. And and uh, you know I th- I think that's the big surprise. And because of that, I think you're able to have such a uh, so much more influence. Um, over over the way the brand turns up in the world than 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 when you're in an agency. And you are now our reigning marketing team of the year from the yes, 2019 Umbrella <laughs> Awards. I won't pretend that I decided it, but <laughs> <laughs> what what do you think made you a standout? Why do you think you were up on that stage? Um, well, obviously, I was up on that stage because I've got an unbelievable team. Um, so the first thing is we we we've we've assembled. Um, an incredibly talented marketing team, and, and and I think a team you wouldn't expect to find inside an insurance company. So we've we've hired um, you know people from again the television world. We've hired some fantastic strategists. We've hired agency talent. We've hired you know just 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 a really awesome collection of of talent. So so and you can't you can't be a great team without great talent. So that's the first thing. I think I think the thing that really differentiates us though is we're a very purpose driven marketing team i know that word's got all sorts of baggage at the moment purpose (laughs) and there's been a lot of um what i call you know purpose washing where where you know um marketers craft this purpose that lives inside powerpoint inside a company and and it doesn't have any um you know meaning in the real world um and we don't we, we we work very hard not to be that type of marketing team we we really believe in the purpose of ig the purpose is to make the world a safer place. It's an awesome purpose, and our CEO means it, our leadership team means it, and we mean it in marketing. And I think what's interesting about that is, as a CMO and as a marketing team, you can have a massive impact on whether the company's purpose 
is felt outside the walls of the company. Like you can actually really think about like what are the big actions we can take as a marketing team that really show we mean it when it comes to purpose and our customers can feel our purpose. So like the Safety Hub app that we built um, is a really good example of that where it's just a, it's just a sort of um, really tangible way to show our customers that we mean it. We want them to be safer. We're encouraging them to be safer. We're rewarding them to be safer. So we take that really seriously and, and, and it's a big reason why a lot of us are there is because we believe in the purpose of IG and, um, you know, we, we want to we wanna kind of spread that purpose to the world. And speaking of the Safety Hub app, I was in uh, the pitch down in Melbourne when CHE Proximity was presenting to the judges for their bid to be Creative Agency of the Year, which they obviously succeeded at. Uh, one of the questions thrown at the judges was, by the judges was, you know, this safety hub app is excellent and it's a great piece of tech and it's a great piece of innovation, but is it actually creative? Now, Chris Howitson, leader of CHEP, obviously answered that far more articulately that, than I can and I guess that's that's why they won. But it did show that obviously they're thinking about creative a little bit differently than perhaps how more traditional creatives are and he mm. was able to really accurately describe, well, okay, this is a functional sort of app, but it is actually also incredibly creative. Are you redefining how you think about creative now? Is is that part of how you're sort of transforming the marketing at IAG? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I, look, creative is definitely more than a film, right? It's more than an ad. Um, I, I, I think, you know, I still believe in the power of a great brand film. It's the, For me, it's the most um, pure expression of a brand because you've got to do it in 60 seconds uh, and it's incredibly emotionally powerful like I still believe in the power of that but I think we need to think differently about creativity and I think especially uh, in the sort of innovation tech space because I think it's really easy to confuse technology with an idea it's not an idea you, you need an idea um, that can then drive that innovation um so so i always say it's a real simple thing i always say if you can't tell me what it is in a sentence that my mum would understand <laughs> then you don't really have an idea and that's a beautiful thing about safety habits one of those there's an idea at the heart of it which is a really simple idea um and 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 then we use tech and data and all sorts of interesting ways to bring that to life and what's exciting for me about that is you can come up with these ideas that are incredibly simple like that we used to we, in the old days we would have put them on a poster like a really simple, well-articulated idea, and then you can execute it in in really interesting ways, and and you know, through through technology and stuff. So I think Safety Hub is really creative. Um, you know, there's a really simple idea there, which is you know we 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 want to reward our customers for being safe. I mean, that's such a simple idea, um, and and then we used all sorts of data and technology to do that in a really interesting way with a really great UX and um, you know and it created a really great experience. And then we put it in the hands of our customers, and that's the thing I think is also really powerful is um, to be able to build stuff that you can actually put in the hands of customers and see how they react. Um, that that's the, I get really excited about that as a marketer that we can actually build something put it in the hands of customers, see how they react, see how they experience it, and then scale that thing, um, you know, in a big way. So, so it, look, there's no doubt that creativity is being redefined and changing, but the bit at the core that I think is still so critical is, is you've got to be able to articulate what the idea is and not get caught up in all the tech and all the, you know, bells and whistles that come with that. There has to be a core, clear idea at the heart of what you do. And on stage a few weeks ago at the Umbrella Finance Marketing Summit, I was speaking to Jonathan Kerr, who's the Chief mm. Marketing Officer of Auto and General, the parent company behind Budget Direct. And he was talking a lot about their reinvention and how they've gone from Bouger Bouger to Captain Risky to now this insurance solved campaign. Firstly, personally, what do you think of that campaign? <laughs> um. Well, I would say this. Uh, what 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 I uh, respect about what Budget Direct have done is they are being brand led. I think it would be very easy for a company called Budget Direct to be anything but brand led, but they're being very brand led. They're building a brand and they're investing in that brand and they're taking a very long term view to that brand building. So we need more of that in Australia. We need more of that in the financial services space. So I applaud them for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> Very diplomatic. Um, I would say that JK was slightly less diplomatic, as, <laughs> as, as can be his way, um, when he sort of said that 
he implied quite heavily that a lot of people in the insurance space aren't making great work. You know, I, I also asked him to comment on, on his competitors and he basically said, I want them to keep doing what they're doing with the implication being what they're doing isn't very good and it's placing consumers in, in his pocket. Not necessarily commenting on a specific brand, but what do you think of the category you're operating in and the work that's being produced? Oh, look, I think he has he has a valid point that I would totally agree with. Um, obviously, I'd make a strong case that the NRMA work is, <laughs> <laughs> has been um, powerful, you know, emotional and, and, and all about help and, and, and has done really good things for our business. That said, yeah, I think, I think you know, if you, look at, if you look at financial services as a whole, um, I think that the, the big mistake that a lot of financial services marketing makes is it starts with the assumption that people care. And I always start with the assumption that people actually don't care about insurance. Um, I don't know about you, but um, I can't remember the last time I was at a barbecue or jumped in a cab <laughs> or called my mum and she talked about insurance. Yeah. All right. So I start from the point of view, and I, and I, I, I presume that JK does too, looking at the type of work he's doing. Um, you start with the assumption that actually people don't really care about insurance and it doesn't really play a big role in their lives until your house burns down. Then it plays a massive role in your life. But for most people, it doesn't really play a very active role in their life. I find that an incredibly motivating challenge. So so then you must bring creativity to bear so that suddenly insurance can be interesting and suddenly there can be a, a cultural conversation going on around an insurance brand. Uh, and that's what we try to try to do. And, and, um, I think, you know, there, there, there's, I really don't think you can use your category you're in as an excuse for kind of the work you're doing, um, which I think, uh, you know, happens a bit too much. Or you can use it as a incredibly motivating factor to say that, like, you know, I, I, if we can do something really, really creative in the insurance space, that's way harder than doing it for sneakers or, or sport or, or, or travel or, or, you know, these, these categories that people are incredibly emotionally vested in. Um, I'm a, where I totally agree with JK is, 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 you know, whilst the category keeps doing, um, pretty average work, that's an opportunity for marketers, um, to, to, you know, like, like me and like him to actually do stuff that will differentiate, that will stand out and that will build brands in the long term. And you mentioned that Australia was still the best place and where you wanted to raise your boys so that they didn't become too American. Yeah. How do you think we sit creatively, though, in you know, in the wider scope of global creative? Do you think we're doing okay? This is this this is a question that really perplexes me because when you look at can, we punch above our weight. You know, we 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 really do, and I think the best stuff that comes out of Australia is really really good. I think if you look at the average though in Australia, it's not that good, um, and. Uh, you know, and, and that, and what's interesting about that is we don't build brands for can juries. Uh, you, you know, you, so, so if you look at what the average punter sees in this country, you know, it's not very good. Um, and it, and it needs to be better. Um, and whilst I made that choice that I wanted to, um, raise my kids in Australia and return to Australia, I really miss the business in America. Um, I just, I, I, I just feel like, uh, I, I was working at a different level. In America, than than here, just given the sort of talent that's there and 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 uh, the opportunities that are there. So yeah, I do think we need to raise the standard here in Australia. I do think we need to do better work. I spent five years of my career in New Zealand, and if I, if I compare this market to that market, I mean New Zealand consistently uh, does much more creative and much more interview things. Part of its size, I often say, I think Australia's caught. It's not Australia's not small enough and not big enough. It's not small enough to be hugely experimental and, and innovative like a New Zealand or an Argentina or a Amsterdam. Um, and it's not big enough to be the States or the UK where, where you just have these, you know, where you have to do something really creative and great to stand out because there's, there's, there's just so many brands all competing for attention. I think, I think we're a bit stuck in the middle there. Um, but, but hopefully, um, you know, we, we, we can, we can raise the game and we can see more creative marketers doing better and better work. I mean, that's, that's my great hope. And you spoke about the average punter at home and, and the sort of work that they might be being exposed to. So beyond your own work, what do you think is some of the better creative that's been produced this year? That's such a hard question. I could talk to you about global examples, <laughs> um, to the cows come home, but it's really hard to pick stuff here in Australia. My favourite piece of marketing from Australia is the uh, the letter that that 11-year-old kid wrote to Alan Joyce. 
uh, and what Qantas then did with that. I thought that was just a beautiful piece of marketing and PR. It was, it was awesome. Um, that a the, the letter the kid wrote to Alan Joyce was amazing, but the way that he responded to it and and, and the mileage they got out of it, I thought was really cool. I think at a time when um, when corporations in Australia are feeling, you know bit out of touch with customers, you, I think you could say. That was just, a, I think, a really beautiful way to kind of connect and showed real heart, which I think corporations need more of. So I love that. It's not, not even really an ad, is it? It's kind of a, something else. Um, oh, look, I really I really love the, um, the, the lamb work that the monkeys do. It's a big reason I wanted to work with them. I think it's a great example of, of work that gets um, you know, massive cultural conversation going well beyond its budget. Um, so I, I admire that, but I mean, it's much easier for me to talk about, um, you know, Whopper detour for Burger King or, or, you know, the Colin Kaepernick work from Nike. And, you know, I think the global, uh, there's been some global examples in the last little while that, that, that I really look up to. And, and I, I certainly want to do world-class work. I, I don't want to be the best in Australia. I want to do work that, uh, is world-class and can, you know, compete on the world stage. And you mentioned the the lamb work by the monkeys and I was actually going to come to that as well because one of the things with those bigger international markets you've talked about, like the UK and the US, is they do have these advertising moments, you know, whether it's the Super Bowl where people will watch the ads or in the UK in the lead up to Christmas where the really big department stores release those ads and people wait for it. They count it down on social media, they share it, they talk about it. The closest we probably get to that is the Australia Day lamb ads by the monkeys and, you know, particularly a couple of years ago when they did the Boat People campaign and that got everyone talking and everyone sharing. Do you think we will get to a point where the regular consumer in Australia is waiting for the creativity that we produce or, again, do you think we're going to be a victim of that medium size that we have? Well, it's the ultimate um, – it's the ultimate – thing isn't it when when advertising becomes something that's not interrupting but it becomes something that you look forward to watching and and the super bowl is like nothing else i mean the super bowl the ads are as watched and commented on as the game probably more you could argue than the game itself um it's you're you're right it's quite hard to find those moments in australia where where you have this sort of big media moment that you can create a I call them a culture spike, you know, a spike where everyone's talking about your brand and everyone's interested. We, we've we've um, we've tried to kind of create a John Lewis type effect at Christmas. So for the last two years, we've created um, a big, generous brand ad from NRMA, which isn't trying to sell you insurance. It's just trying to say, "Hey, drive safe, everyone," because it's the time of year that's actually least safe to to drive. Right? We have the most accidents around Christmas. Um, and so we've tried to create that John Lewis effect. We haven't got anywhere near the kind of John Lewis effect, but it has been really good for the brand. Um, and it's something we're going to do every year. I'm going to do another one this year. So we're trying to create a bit of that kind of, you know, event mentality around marketing. In fact, two years ago, it won the Mumbrella TV out of the year just to give, <laughs> another, us, another give, us, a, give us another Mumbrella <laughs> award plug there. Um, so, so I, and, I, and I think it's really, really powerful when you can, um, when you can create that real – event type experience because the thing we need to remember is brands are built by the collective experience that people have they're not built through hyper-targeted one-on-one personalized communications which is where a lot of marketing is going today they're built in that big collective water cooler moments where we're all seeing it we're all talking about it. i think that's why game of thrones is such an incredibly powerful cultural phenomena because we all watched it together we all had to wait for that last episode to drop you know and it created that big collective kind of cultural moment so i think i think look when you can when you can get to that it's it's incredibly powerful i think it's getting harder and harder to do with the fragmentation we have in media today but i think it's a really worthwhile ambition and aspiration for brands to try and get to that level of 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 uh you know advertising that we want to watch versus advertising that interrupts. And before I let you go, just one more question. You're a couple of years into the gig now. So what what's next for you? Well, what's next immediately is we've got a couple of really exciting creative things that are about to drop. 
um, which which have been um, quite some time in the making, and I'm I'm incredibly excited about. So um, we've got a, actually, in fact, um, we've got a new NRMA campaign. I'm really excited about. Um, so so that's the first thing, I'm, I'm, and I'm always sort of I have to have a couple of things in front of me creatively that I'm excited about. That's a big part of how I uh, how I like to work. Um, as to what's next, I, I don't know. I, I really don't. I'm I'm, I'm enjoying this. Um, and and what I always say when people ask me if I'm enjoying it, I always say that um, I feel so liberated being able to say yes to an idea that it actually kind of offsets all the things I find challenging in a corporation, which are many. Uh, I really do miss the creative culture of an agency, but the, the, I feel so liberated being able to say yes and to be able to create the conditions for ideas to to be great. It's 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 really fantastic. Um, so more of that. I think as long as I've got that ability to be able to. Um, create the conditions for creativity to to and and ideas to survive and thrive and you know I I think I think uh, as long as I get to do that every day I'll keep doing more of that so no media plans really happy doing what I'm doing I get to work with these um, awesome brands every day I look and I never thought insurance could be so satisfying but it really is I'm I'm really loving it so I don't know I don't know but I, I definitely I definitely think the CMO role. Um, for me anyway, is more fulfilling, um, more challenging and more interesting than running an agency. All right. Brent Smart, CMO of IAG and the leader of the reigning Mumbrella Marketing Team of the Year. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. And that's it for this week. But before we go, if you're listening on Thursday night, you might just squeeze in on the last few hours of the early bird discount for the Mumbrella Publish Conference. And we should probably also mention we just uh, announced the Mumbrella Next Conference, celebrating and helping, hopefully, the industry's next level of talent. So do take a look at umbrella.com.au forward slash next. And we've also done the call out for the Mumbrella Next Awards, which is for you if you've been in the industry for less than 10 years. Um, And, of course, one final get well soon to Vivian. That is it for this week, though. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Tim. Toodle pet. 